of course, I think fly fishers are great from that aspect of whatever trash they pack in, they're packing it back out. But I also, you know, we got to we got to take other people's trash out, too. You know what I mean? Like if we see a piece of paper or a water bottle or a piece of plastic, of course, we're not the ones perhaps that put it there. But if we see it and we don't walk out of the woods with it, we're just as guilty. We might as well have been the person that put it there. So, so that's a, I, I think we all have to, you know, share in that responsibility a little bit. Welcome to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast, featuring interviews with passionate people within the fly fishing industry. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by the folks at the Fly Crate. Get double the flies when you join their monthly fly club for a fun way to learn fly fishing and discover new flies each month. Just use the code double the flies at checkout or stock up on flies for your next trip and get free shipping on all orders of $15 or more. Go to www.theflycrate.com to adventure by the fly. Welcome to this edition of the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. This time around, we want to welcome to the program Nick Leiter. Now, Nick is a fly bum out of PA, a veteran, former mayor, blog contributor to uh, the PA Wilds and Pennsylvania Fly Fishing Association. Spends a lot of time on the water. Nick, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Mark. Great to be with you. I'm, I've been excited to chat with you all week. We had a little bit of a, a pre-conversation, kind of touch base, and uh, kind of got a feel for what each each other's all about. And I'll tell you what, I know we've got a lot of ground to cover. One thing I always like to do on the program, Nick, is take it back to your roots and kind of find out how you got started in fly fishing. Where, where did things start for you? Sure. I recently um, came across a picture of myself that a local... A uh, newspaper photographer slash reporter took in 1979, 1980. It was a local trout derby here in my town, and and uh, I had there was a picture of me in the in the paper as a three year old holding my first trout. So I've been catching trout for you know it's funny to say, but for for 40 years, and and that's always been a part of my life, and. Um, and fly fishing was always out there. It was always something that I knew that I wanted to do. It was a different echelon of the sport that I wanted to get into. But I put it off for a very long time. I was just intimidated, and, and it you know it wasn't. Of course, I was busy as I was growing up, and I and I joined the army out of school, and then after that, I was in college. Then I was living away in the Midwest, and just just a busy young man, and didn't really get a chance to get into it until I moved back to Pennsylvania in 2012. And, uh, shortly, shortly after that, when I started, um, so I'm fairly new to the, to the sport of fly fishing, being on the water and, and chasing trout isn't something new to me, but doing it with, uh, with fly rod is fairly new. I always find it interesting. It seems like when, when things kind of calm down and, and, and you kind of get some stability in the life, that's when people tend to come back to fly fishing. You know, when you're a young teenager in your early 20s, like you say, you're busy. But I found myself, I, I wished I would have found it sooner, if that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I read somewhere, Nick, that you spend over 250 days a year with a fly rod or at least on the water. Is that accurate? It is, and it, it is because I'm blessed um, with where I live in central Pennsylvania and my proximity to a lot of different creeks and streams and rivers. I've been all over the country, and it, it's there's a lot of beautiful places. And when I came back to um, central Pennsylvania and got back on the water, that's when I really realized, like, Pennsylvania is a, just a geographically beautiful state, and we are we are really blessed with a lot of really good waters and healthy waters. And, uh, so I can be real close. Um, I'm going to go hunt some smallmouth today and I'm, I have a seven or eight minute drive, uh, to the mouth of a Creek that flows into the Juniata river. And, uh, I'll be right here and there, you know, so, so yes. And the reason I'm able to get out is because I can get out before work or I can get out, 
on the water after work for two or three or four hours a day. And that that's really what, what has enabled me to be able to get out as much as I do. I know you do a lot of writing, and I'd, I'd like to talk about that. But what do you do for a day job out of curiosity? Sure. I work for a um, kitchen cabinet manufacturing company right here in Thompsontown, Pennsylvania. So yeah. when you're um, writing your, your blog, um, tell us a little bit about how you got started writing because I, I read some of your blogs and uh, I can tell conservation is at the forefront of your mind and, and kind of um, talking about those beautiful streams and, and tribs you have in PA. Where, where did that start for you? Uh, the communications director for an organization called the PA Wilds reached out to me, I believe about two and a half, two and a half years ago. And I think they had noticed uh, maybe some of my posts on Instagram and, and reached out to me about coming on board as maybe a fishing ambassador or a blog contributor for their blog. And that was, um, that really piqued my interest because I've always been interested in writing, but I never really had taken the opportunity or perhaps had an outlet to, to do that. So this allowed me to do that. And, uh, I'm not exactly sure when I posted my first blog piece with them, but, but um, T- tell me a little bit about yeah. about the Pennsylvania Fly Fishing Association. Yeah, the Pennsylvania Fly Fishing Association started uh, really that became um, official uh, September of 2018, and really what that was when I first started fly fishing, um, I was really looking for. I guess you could say mentors, even as a, a guy in his late thirties, I was looking for, uh, some folks that I knew I could spend some time with that would be able to help me along the way, I guess. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I reached out to the Pennsylvania fly fishing museum and to do some volunteer work. And it was there that I met a gentleman by the name of Tom Hoffmaster, um, who is currently in his uh, early eighties. And he was serving as the executive director, uh, at the time. And, and he had been on the board of directors there for, I believe 16 or 17 years and was really responsible for a lot of the, uh, a lot of the artifacts and a lot of the history that helped build the Pennsylvania fly fishing museum. And, and I think he was kind of looking to, to step away from that after being involved for so long. And he, he wanted to start a new organization that was really focused at um, youth development and education and fly fishing. And and Tom and I had gotten to be pretty good friends. He was really good to me and helped uh, introduce me to a lot of good people here in Pennsylvania. And uh, he, you know, he introduced me to Joe Humphreys and Bob Clouser and Ed Jowrowski. And he, he was he's really um, on top of the history of fly fishing in Pennsylvania. It was really through him and the museum that I was able to learn about Vince Marinero and Charlie Fox and their time on, uh, the Latorte spring run, which is an amazing, amazing stream here. And so Tom approached me because he knew I have a background in nonprofit administration and he reached out to me about perhaps starting a new organization that, like I said, was focused and driven towards youth development and education as well as environmental initiatives. And so we spent some time going back and forth and discussing what the framework for that could look like. And then we moved forward and filed our articles in, of incorporation with the state of Pennsylvania last fall. And then in September, I think it was September, maybe 23rd or 25th, the Pennsylvania Fly Fishing Association got started. That's pretty cool. I, I know from reading your material, you're obviously really passionate about the history, particularly the history of the sport in, in the state of PA. Tell us what, what that means to you, because I read, I read an interesting quote, basically standing in a stream and thinking about the others that have come before you and fish the same waters, and I thought that was kind of a cool take on it and it's not something i think about a lot to be quite honest Uh, you know i'm not quite sure maybe where my interest in that comes from but but i do spend a lot of time when i'm out 
thinking, and especially on creeks like the Latorte or Spring Creek, uh, let's say up in State College, I think about the the guys and the gals that that really did come before me and us as far as this new crop of uh, fly fishers. I I include myself in the in the quote unquote new crop, even as a forty three year old. Uh, man, you know, I know, of course, that there's young 20-year-olds coming up. But like I said, I'm, I'm fairly new. So when I decided to kind of figure out who I wanted to speak to and learn from, I, I certainly could have learned from the younger generation. Uh, but I, I was really interested more in the history with the older generation. And, and the fact is we still have guys with us that, you know, in 10 years or 15 or 20 years aren't, aren't going to be with us any longer. So I really wanted to perhaps pick some of their brains, you know, while I still had the time to do so. That's really neat. And and to be honest with you, that's, that's the reason for this podcast too, in my mind, talking to some, like, cause let's face it, we learn so much from people that have spent so much time doing something and and I think it's good to have a sounding board and a recording of that, whether it's in print or, you know, a podcast form. I think that's really critical. And I, I think you're also, Nick, in a unique spot there where you, the age bracket that you're in, you are probably seeing both and learning from both the younger crowd and the older crowd. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think maybe one of the concerns I had um was maybe with the younger generation coming up and uh you know are, are they too flashy are they are they making are they exploiting what fly fishing is and and i i really don't think that's the case i see a, a lot of really good things from uh from the younger generation so i i think that's good i feel like the what i feel are the important aspects of fly fishing regarding uh, just the care for healthy waters and really good fish management and and those of aspects. I think they're there and I see them. So that's a good that's a good sign. Yeah, I think that bodes well moving forward. If you had to pinpoint a couple of individuals that have been key in your learning curve, you mentioned mentorship. Who would you um, like to mention or or comment on that helped you along the way? Well, I I'm blessed. Like I said, you know, with having spent some time with uh, Tom Hoffmaster, you know, just uh, just during my time that I was that I got to spend with him, he he taught me quite a bit. But you know, there again too, like I said, you know, Pennsylvania is rich in history with some some great people that that are here in the state with Joe Humphreys and George Daniel, of course, and. Uh, Clouser and, and Ed Jarowski, they're all really, really good men. And, and George Daniels' books um, are a good read and very, very helpful. And he's he's a scientist when it comes to uh, fly fishing, and he he's very cerebral. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I I don't know George personally, but I've seen him quite a few times and listened to him speak. And yeah, he's he's good for information. So. I can't really pinpoint it back to one person. I've been blessed to to hear from a lot of different guys and gals. Uh, Julie Shore is a is a guide here on on Pine Creek and uh, for for brown trout and rainbows and brookies and but also a good steelhead guide as well. So she's she's a nice lady, real special. Are you are you still located in Thompson Town, PA, or or where's home for you right now? I am. I was born and raised here in Thompson Town, Pennsylvania, where we're a town of about 800, maybe close to 900 people. And it's been that way since I was born. And and then, yeah, I've been all over the place and then came back here in uh, 2000, April of 2012. You realize you're the first mayor, former mayor I've had on the program. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us, tell us a little bit about that. So um, you were mayor of Thompson Town. What, what years... Uh, were you doing that? Sure. So I moved back to Thompson Town in April of 2012. And shortly thereafter, I reached out to the person that was the current mayor at the time, who was a lady that had been mayor for quite a while. And she was a 
a family friend, a woman that I knew growing up as a kid, and and uh, she and her husband were really good friends with my parents. And I was curious about a building here in town, and I called her about, uh, I had some questions regarding the zoning of this building. And, and we got to talking, and she had mentioned to me that she was not going to be running uh, in the upcoming election. And she knew, again, she, she knew my background, I think, in, in the work I'd been doing in nonprofit administration and asked if I'd be interested in maybe throwing my hat in the ring and running. And I gave it some thought. I, I really wasn't quite sure if, if I wanted to do it, if I was, if I wanted to be able to put the time into it, but it really wasn't, something I had to think about very long. I knew I had the time and that I could do it. And I knew that my background would help me in that. Hmm. And, uh, so that's what I, that's what I did. And I, uh, the election was in November, I believe of 2013. And on January 1st of 2014, I became the mayor and, and I did that for four years up until, uh, through 2017. So you got to have a lot of knowledge base in your area growing up there, spending so much time. I'm, I'm really, I always wonder where you go in, in a small town, you say plus or minus 800 people. Where do you go to talk fly fishing? Do you have to go very far? Is there a coffee shop or fly shop locally? Where do you get your fix of uh, fly fishing? Well, that's a good question. I, I, had, uh, I had some friends that I had grown up with um, as a kid and went to school with and when I came home, I reconnected with a lot of those folks and, uh, and, and realized that while I had been away for 17 years, some of those guys had been fly fishing. So I was able to get started, uh, you know, with a lot of help from my friends, quote unquote. Uh, they were really good at helping me get off the ground. And, and we do, we do have a local deli here in Thompson Town that's been a staple of the town for again, since I've been born. So that's where people gather in the morning for their coffee and you'll hear fly fishing and spin fishing and deer hunting and turkey hunting. And there's, there's all walks of life that uh, enjoy the outdoors in PA. And they, uh, a lot of them certainly come together at the deli in Thompson town. What's the name of that deli? It's called the Thompson town corner deli. <laughs> there you go. All right. Um, you know what I'd like to do, Nick is, Take us through a perfect day on the water for you. Paint a picture. What does that look like? Like if you could have your day the way you like it to be in a perfect world, weather-wise, species-wise, you know, just describe it for us. Sure. Well, um, boy, that's tough. I, I really, I, I don't know if I would tie that back even to a, a, a weather issue. I think if, if I'm able to get out for a day and really work at uh, just zoning in and keying in and being focused on what I'm doing. And um, it's really not even about the fish for me. I mean, sure. It's great. I can catch four or five different species of game fish on my local stream that I grew up on the Cocalamus Creek from rookies and rainbows and brown trout and smallmouth bass. And uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, but I, for me, I think it's about the water mm-hmm. being out just in the water and, uh, in nature, in my local neck of the woods that I, I, I mean, like I said, I grew up here, so I knew, I knew a lot of Pennsylvania, uh, or so I thought I did until I moved back and really started exploring it. And the interesting thing about where I live is I can be four or five miles away from my house and completely immersed in the woods by myself with, you know, our bald eagle population is is coming back really strong in central Pennsylvania. So I see a lot of bald eagles quite a bit and, of course, deer and just other outdoor wildlife, black mm-hmm. bears. Yeah. It's great. So if I'm out and I'm, if I'm really keyed into what I'm doing and, and if I'm learning something that day or figuring out something about my cast that I need to work on or my presentation or just my approach to the water, if I'm, if I'm, if I can tell that I'm doing better at those things, then that's, 
that's really a perfect day for me. Yeah, that's that's the thing that I it comes up a lot about fly fishing is it kind of slows things down and you start paying attention to things whether it's a hatch that's going on something right below your feet that you normally wouldn't notice i mean th- that for me that you know that it's in the details oh absolutely absolutely and pennsylvania has some great great hatches and that's been an interesting that's definitely been an interesting aspect for me regarding fly fishing is the entomology side of it which i find really interesting tell tell us about your writing i'd like to take it back to your writing a little bit are you working on anything currently that you can talk about or um any plans for for writing over the winter months writing a book was always something that i wanted to do for years maybe 10 or 15 years and just because for me i see it as maybe an artist would see a sculpture let's say something that you're crafting and putting together and so I was always intrigued by the process of writing a book but I had no idea what I wanted to say or more importantly why I wanted to say it so I that wasn't something I ever rushed it was just kind of always on the back burner and when I had time and when life slowed down a little bit maybe that would come to me and then shortly after I'd been fly fishing for a while uh, an idea popped into my head but even then I kind of sat on it for a bit until last year I reached out to some friends and said, hey, I'm thinking about this idea. Would you be interested in being involved? And so I, I did just that. I reached out to some folks, and, uh, and we went from there. And so uh, there's a few of us, five or six of us, that are working on a book together. And the, and the idea of it is I, I really want to take a look at where we are from a conservation standpoint. Are we doing enough? Are we doing as well today as uh, our fathers did and our grandfathers? And what were they doing 40, 50, 60, 70 years ago? Um, and how has that been passed down through, through the generations, and especially the generations of, of fly fishers? So, so I wanted it to be a collaboration. I didn't want it to be... Uh, about me. I want to look at different perspectives of our generation. So I have um, some folks in their 70s that are helping. Um, and, and then we have a young gal and her dad, Deegan Cherry, and her dad, Judd. I believe Deegan's nine. Um, and she's a young gal um, out of Texas that is um, just a great young soul that loves fly fishing. And she's a great little tire and she's very environmentally conscious so so she'll serve on the other end of that spectrum as far as the age group and and uh so that's that's where we're at and we're looking so we're writing now everybody's kind of doing their part now we're looking for a a published date sometime um in the middle or perhaps in the fall uh 2020 awesome it's it's always exciting to have uh, projects going like that. You know, it gives you that creative outlet, and I think that sounds pretty exciting stuff and definitely something I'm sure you'll be working hard at all winter. Yeah, the winter will be a good time to kind of uh, buff that up a little bit and kind of go over drafts and edit some things. And uh, fly fishing is going to serve as the backdrop for for the book, but it, it's, not a, it's not an instructional book. I'm in no place to instruct anybody. I could help a very young beginner, <laughs> but 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 I'm not in a in a place to uh, speak from uh, instruction by any means. But but I but I did want I did want to use fly fishing, of course, as the backdrop, and I think that'll serve really well for it. Yeah, no, it's a great conduit for sure. I'm gonna fire a couple rapid questions, just totally off the cuff here. You tie okay. or do you buy? I, I am both a buyer and a tire, and I've been primarily a buyer. But my girlfriend recently got into fly fishing, and she's doing outstanding. I mean, she's doing really well. And uh, and that's that aspect for her, the tying aspect, is really what uh, intrigues her. And she's very, very gifted with her hands and uh, and just... She's very crafty and artistic, so tying is coming along very well for her and very quickly. So it, it's been a lot of fun to watch her 
and that and that has helped speed up my tying as well you know because i feel like i got to keep up with her but so far i don't know i don't know if i am but she's uh she's doing great browns or rainbows browns steelers or eagles I, you know, that's a tough one. I'm not a football fan, and I've, I've, I've never been, I've never been a, a fan of the Eagles or the Steelers for whatever reason. I'm not quite sure. But when I, I lived in St. Louis for a long time, and and we won the Super Bowl in 1999 and 2000 with Kurt Warner and a, a lot of other good guys, Marshall Falk. So I was, I was a fan during those years when the Rams were in uh, St. Louis. Wet or dry fly. Uh, I gotta go dry. What's your favorite type of rod to cast? If you, you if you were to pick your favorite rod, hit your favorite waters. What are you casting? There's probably a lot of favorites that I haven't used yet, but uh, but I'm a big fan of uh, when I first started. I went out and I I knew that I didn't want to go invest a lot of money simply because as a rookie I don't I didn't know the difference between a good rod and maybe a lower, lower market rod, you know? So I thought I'm just going to, and, and I spoke to a lot of people and, and I was eventually directed towards TFO rods and, and my go-to everyday rod is an eight and a half foot five weight and TFO. And, and I love it. And it's been a good, it's become a really good friend. And, uh, and I, and I'm really a fan of what TFO stands for. Mm, uh, yeah. as far as a business. And I think that that was something that Lefty Cray was, was um, I think that's why he supported them so much. They want to get really good equipment in the hands of, of fly fishers and they want to keep their price point at a place where it makes sense yeah, for they... people to not be intimidated. And I think that that's really stand up of them and they're, and the rods are great. I mean, I've had a blast with them. I really think they found a niche in the marketplace too, because you're getting some really top, top-notch quality at, at an affordable price. And let's face it, that I, that for fly fishing growing up for me, there was always a wall there. There was either the inexpensive cheapies or you know the super super high end, and and pretty much nothing in between. Oh yeah, absolutely. And and when I first got started, I'll tell you, I, I mean, there was a lot of great. I'd looked at a lot of good gear and and knew that in time I would work my way into that gear but I knew that as a beginner I wasn't interested in flashy or expensive or that that aspect of it just didn't matter to me so and to be honest with you I went and bought that I went and got that TFO rod and and caught my first trial with it and had fun and one day I was in a, I was at an estate auction and up for sale came this old graphite rod, uh, probably from the seventies, but I had, I'd seen it prior to it hitting the auction block and looked at it and knew that it had never been used. And I got that rod for $20 and I had bought an old antique, I think Shakespeare reel at an antique store for 10 bucks that I just had in my house as a decoration. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I had some old Cortland 333 line that was, it was, it was older, maybe from the seventies or eighties, but it was still brand new in its packaging. And I think I was using them. I had the reel on the rod and it was kind of on my wall here in my living room. And one day I just said, you know, I'm going to, I'm stringing this up and I'm taking it out. And, and I fished with that rod for quite a while and caught a lot of fish and had a lot of fun with it. And I, there was a part of me that wanted to, to fish and feel what it was like to, to use vintage gear. I think so that I could develop an appreciation for the newer gear and, and different technology folks had put in, into some rods. And, uh, so yeah, I went, I stepped back in time with my, with my gear when it first got started. That's something I think about a lot. I haven't had the, the, pl- the privilege of fishing with a split cane rod, but I had a gentleman, uh, out of Bellingham, Washington, that makes them, and just even talking to him, feeling the passion, and and as somebody that's into carpentry or into, um, you know, it's something I'm sure you can get a lot of appreciation for. The craftsmanship is there's something special, and there's a story behind it, you know. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's definitely a part of me, and I do have an an older South Bend uh, bamboo rod 
that I think is a nine and a half or a 10. Mm-hmm. And I, I have yet to get it out, but I, I want to. Um, but yeah, there's definitely something special about the process of, of a bamboo rod and really what goes into making that. And as a person that enjoys art and being creative and working with my hands, and I like working with wood, um, I have not yet sat down to to craft a bamboo rod, but I see that at some point in my future. I feel like that'll be something I need to do. Well, well let's face it, all that time you spent looking, um, you know, working with the guys from the Fly Fishing Museum, that's that's got to be kind of a, a near and dear to your heart kind of thing. The museum's a great place. and Like I said, Tom Hoffmaster was great at, and he knows so many people and he, like I said he knows a lot about the history of fly fishing in Pennsylvania so he was able to really reach out to folks and family members of really outstanding fly fishers in, in Pennsylvania and accrue some really interesting pieces of their collection and uh, so yeah I've seen some pretty neat stuff. We're chatting today with Nick Leiter, fly bomb veteran, former mayor, blog contributor, out of Thompson Town, PA. Nick, if you could change something about the sport of fly fishing, is there anything you'd like to see us do a little differently? It's mm, a great question. I mean, and that's certainly something that I think about quite a bit. Um, there's, a, there's a million things that come up, but is there anything that's uh, kind of forefront in your mind? Where I am, uh, the pressure is not that great. I mean, I have streams around me that are, a lot of them are stocked, so in the spring when trout season hits, we'll have our weekend warriors that are out for a couple weeks before that kind of dies off. So in smaller markets, I, w- I, I think one thing I would like to see is our, is our catch and release ethics kind of get a little stronger. In the fly fishing community itself, catch and release is very, I think it's very strong. You know, I... Mm-hmm. I I've not seen any issues there, but uh, just fishing in general, it would be great to see our catch and release ethics get a little tighter because we have some great water here, but when we come right in and we take the fish right out, then, then they're out. And, and uh, it happens. I understand that, you know, people buy a fishing license and they like to eat trout and that, that is what it is. But if we were able to leave some trout, 25 percent 30 40 percent of what's stocked every year i think uh you know in time those fish find homes and they get a little smarter and they get a little wiser and mm-hmm. they're able to adapt to uh to the water they're in and and then our fisheries can get a little a little bit more populated that would be great um another aspect i was concerned about when i was coming into it was you know, is this sport, am I getting into it too late? Am I finding something that could be perhaps the love of my life? You know, let's say, am I finding it at a time when it's becoming exploited? Um, and I, and I was worried about that. And, and now I'm not so much. I think that, yes, there are more people getting into the game. And I think it's a good thing. I was worried about it and maybe concerned about it. I, like I said, you know, kind of going back to the younger generation. Mm-hmm. Are they approaching this? Are they approaching this? You know, this sport, if you want to call it a sport, are they approaching it with with the same uh, respect, if you will, as as our forefathers did? And and I think for the most part they are. You know, I think they are, and I think that that's a good thing. And when you know, there's something about fly fishers that put a lot of responsibility on themselves. Yeah. And I think that a lot of people understand that if you want to get into the game, it comes with it comes with a, a certain expectation that you hold yourself in a high regard ethically and, uh, and you know, with an environmentally conscious minded approach. Mm-hmm. So and I, and I for the most part, I think that's still there. And I think that's a good thing. And and uh, of course, you know, we have more women on the water now and that's that's just an added bonus to the to the sport so that's that's a good thing as well yeah that's i mean it's key isn't it i mean if if i mean i think as especially as environmentalists as conservationists 
uh, if I can use those words as fly fishers, more is better. You know, I know that's not proper English, but the, the more people that are involved, the more resources there are and the more likely we are to protect them. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's been the great thing for me regarding social media is that I, I started, I think I may have had an Instagram account before, but I, I hadn't done anything with it. I wasn't familiar with it. And, and I realized that, yeah, we all have a Facebook page, but that's just, you know, I think we're all, at least I am a little bit tired of, of, of what that's turned into. Whereas with Instagram, I, I can be really direct with the circle of people that I follow and that I allow follow me. And it's, it's served as a really good tool mm-hmm. and a networking tool on top of that. You know, I've met some great people through Instagram that I stay in contact with that I have not met yet in person. Some of them I have, some of these folks I have fished with. Yeah. So that's been a good thing. And it's been a good place for me to learn. I mean, I, I've been able to learn from people there and I, I really enjoy that part of it. I can totally relate to that because I really didn't know much about social media. Still don't really. I mean, it's a learning curve for me, but the younger generation is totally dialed in. But like, like you said, there's, there's, there's people that I've gone fishing with totally out of the blue. that have just looked me up and said, Hey man, I'm in your neck of the woods. You want to go fishing? And I'm like, okay. <laughs> you know, right. but, and, right. and I've never been every person that I've, I've met through, the, through the site and through, uh, particularly Instagram, just, just a lot of passionate people and a lot of like-minded individuals. It, it, it's, it's very, um, it's motivating for me because it's a way of, it also helps spread that passion, spread that drive to create more content. And let's face it is when, when we're sitting at the tying vice in January, I'm looking for content. Sure. I was just thinking, I met a gentleman, uh, actually the first time I got involved with the Pennsylvania Fly Fishing Museum was a few years ago at the fly fishing show in Lancaster, uh, which happens every I think first weekend in March is when the fly fishing show comes to Pennsylvania. And uh, I was volunteering with the, with the Pennsylvania Fly Fishing Museum, and I remember I walked by uh, Project Healing Waters had a booth there, and there was a gentleman sitting down spinning a hummingbird out of deer hair. And I was just taken back, like I... I of course, you know, so much of the sport is new to me and it certainly was then. And, and, uh, I walked over to the guy and we got to chatting and, and he's a veteran. He's from Indiana. His name's Joe Jackson. Uh, he goes by Sergeant Bass Fisher on Instagram. And, uh, and Joe had, he was recently in the game. He's in Afghanistan and Iraq war vet. And he came back home, um, I think he got out of the army in 2000, I want to say 2014, I believe. Uh, and he came back home to Indiana and he found project healing waters. And it was, you know, going back to what you said about therapy. I mean, it was, it was, uh, it's been his therapy. And, uh, and since then he's become just a, a, a really skilled tire of bass bugs and deer hair. And jo- I mean, Joe can tie it all you know, as far as trout flies. Um, but yeah, he's gotten to be a really, really good friend of mine. And Joe's actually one of our guys that will be collaborating on the book with me just in regards to how fly, he, of course he's extremely environmentally conscious, but just how fly fishing has been an outlet for him um, in regards to just a ther- from a therapeutic aspect. Well, that's, yeah, because I, I go to that same fly fishing show as, you know, it goes all around around the country and that is just such a great source because i know they they had project healing waters they had casting for recovery and then i do believe i firmly believe in in fly fishing as a form of therapy just as far as getting out there getting your mind off of things it's a great distraction have you found that it it helps you at all in that way yeah absolutely when i'm not on the water and and just in my day-to-day goings on i'm a i'm a it just seems like my, my head can be all over the place. I'm busy and there's a lot going on. Yeah. I mean, for me being out on the water, it just allows me to quiet down and and stop everything and everything else just kind of disappears. And I have a few hours to really key in and focus on what I'm doing. And, you know, some days I don't even take the, 
fly right out of the truck. You know, I'll just go hang out on the water and and observe and watch and try to better understand what the trout are doing and why they're doing it. Or some days, perhaps, I'll just keep the fly rod in the truck and take trash bags along mm-hmm. and clean, yeah. you know, clean the water. You know, because it's, it's amazing. I mean, you know, so that's an aspect, too, going back to things I think we can be doing differently. Um, of course, I think fly fishers are, are um, great from that aspect of whatever trash they pack in, they're packing it back out. But I also, you know, we got to, we got to take other people's trash out too. You know what I mean? Like if we see a piece of paper or a water bottle or a piece of plastic, of course we're not the ones perhaps that put it there, but if we see it and we don't walk out of the woods with it, we're just as guilty. We might as well have been the person that put it there. So, so that's, I I think we all have to, you know, share in that responsibility a little bit, but, but just going back to what you said. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's a really important, it's become an important part of my life and, and it's definitely, I, it's not anything that I don't think I can, I can stop or I certainly don't want to. <laughs> I'm just writing the time. I'm writing the time down that you said that. Cause that's a great quote. I'm going to use that as a teaser at the front end. Cool. What was, uh, okay. Oh man. No, no, the trash thing. You're bang on with that. Like when you said, um, if you don't pick it up, you might as well be the person that put it there. Like there's nothing. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's really an eye-opening statement and it's one that I, I use to myself. It's something I tell myself quite a bit, like, Hey, you know, like sometimes it's really hard. Sometimes you got to wait across the Creek and you got to go downstream and you can see that piece of, you know, and it's, sometimes it's not easy, but (laughs) you know, if we're not part of the solution, we're part of the problem. I started doing that locally. I don't know about five years ago in a small Creek. That's pretty urban runs right through town where I live. And I went in there, and there were shopping carts, and there, you name it, it was there. And mm-hmm. I, I, just, I got actually depressed. I'm like, I once you start looking, especially in some urban waterways, um, it's not pretty. And like you say, um, no. we can do a lot better at that. And I, I think, I think that's something I see people doing that all the time. Actually, picking up garbage, and I think that's great. But I, I tell you what, I was driving down the highway the other day, and I saw somebody th- throw a you know, a fast food wrapper out the window. And I'm just like, son of a gun. Like, I, are we really still doing that? I, it, it really is something. I think there was a period of time where we were doing really well. I think we came out of the seventies, uh, at least the United States. I mean, there were definitely some parts of the United States that were in rough shape. Um, and then I think it was in the early seventies. I want to say it was president Nixon actually, um, his administration. And we, from that we had, we, had the clean water act and we did a lot better. And, you know, that's a, another aspect of the book that we're finding is making its way into it is, is where are we from a governmental standpoint and why are we rolling back some environmental policies? Mm-hmm. And I think some of those answers are really clear. Um, and I think some of them aren't, but I think that that's something we really have to, investigate um yes we can each all be doing our own part and of course there are some amazing organizations that are really combating um and and pushing for the environment in in washington dc uh trout unlimited of course and you know that list goes on and and we we need to keep doing that yeah, absolutely. Hey, look, I know you got some smallmouth bass to chase here. I just got one more question for you. Um, sure. Have you got any crazy fish stories? Anything that's weird or wonderful that's happened to you in your time on the water that comes to mind? No, not. I don't know if anything that perhaps anybody else hasn't experienced. There are some certain fish that I remember vividly that have broken my heart. Uh, <laughs> You know, and with my girlfriend getting into it, um, just the other day, she caught her first brown trout, and it was super, super special. Um, but a few weeks prior to that, we were out, and and she had one on, a gorgeous fish, a, a beautiful wild brown. And it got off, and and uh, and I said, that's, that's okay. That's just part of the game. The, the win here is that your presentation 
got the bite from that trout and that's the success, you know, fish are going to get off and that's going to happen. And, uh, and she's a lot better at that, of, of being okay with that than I am, I think. But, but we lose fish all the time, but there are definitely a few that stick out that, uh, mm. that have broken my heart over the last few years. But a couple of years too, in the spring, I remember, and I was just recently telling her about this. Actually, we were out at the place on the Creek where it happened. And I was out in the stream and I had my rod, I think laying in the water and I was flipping rocks and I was looking at bugs and just kind of lost in my own world. And I hear this little pitter patter in the water and I didn't really think anything of it and kind of didn't pay attention to it. And I heard it again and kind of turned my head and here's a baby fawn, a young white tailed deer, perhaps maybe a week old, um, standing five feet from me in the stream, just looking at me like, Hey buddy, how's it going? And I was just, I was just blown away by that. And, and I, I got some pictures of it and uh, I reached my hand out to it and it kind of put its nose to my hand to sniff. And, and I just thought, boy, there are, you know, grown men that are hunting these things left and right. And it's sometimes if we're just quiet enough on the stream, yeah. of course they're not hunting young, young fawns, but I mean, yeah. it was just a really, and the other thing aspect of that too, I knew the mother was around somewhere very close, but I think with my time on the water and it sounds weird. And I've said this to friends of mine, but I, I, it almost feels like when you spend enough time out and, and I, I'm on a lot of, different water nearby me, but a lot of the same water at different points of the week or the month, but it almost feels like the wildlife knows that you're there and your intentions are good and you mean them no harm. So Mm -hmm. the whole environment gets relaxed and, and, uh, some amazing things can, can happen when you're quiet and still out in the wilderness and what you can see. And it's really special. Yeah, did you see that footage that's going around on Facebook and Instagram of those two elk beside that fellow that's fly casting? Oh yeah, it's wonderful. That, that's wonderful. That came to mind when you said that. I have experienced something similar to that too with a camera one time. I was, it was bow hunting season coming up, and I was kind of pre scouting something, looking through some thick um, bushes, and all of a sudden, same thing. I heard something, and it's this little fawn that's kicking and bucking like it was in a rodeo, and the mom was watching. They had no clue I was there, and I'm like, I felt a little guilty, you know what I mean? Because I was kind of looking for a hunting spot, and I'm like, yeah, no, that's just that's kind of cool, you know. You're in <laughs> right. you're in their house. Yeah, yeah, we have a wonderful elk. Our elk population in northern PA is really taken off, and the management behind that is really, really run well i think Mm -hmm. so uh elk we have a great black bear population that's really picking up uh last summer i believe it was i was out on the stream here locally maybe 10 miles from my house and downstream for me i had some white-tailed deer that were playing in the water they were maybe 100 yards downstream and they didn't really pay any attention to me they they weren't too concerned and so i'm you know then I'm back to fishing and I'm focused on what I'm doing. And I hear some more movement in the water, maybe 50 yards downstream. And I turn my head and there's a black bear crossing the water. And that, (laughs) for me, that was my first experience being out on the water. And, and, you know, here's a black bear. Like if it comes down to me or the black bear, the black bear is going to win, you know, and I get myself all worked up. And at the end of the day, that black bear has no interest in me. And, uh, had it known I was there, it probably wouldn't have been there, you know? Yeah, and, uh, exactly. so it's just a really, it gives you different, it gives you a different respect for, you know, growing up in Pennsylvania, we, there's not a lot of stuff out there that's going to hurt me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There's not, uh, yeah, we have a couple snakes, but at the end of the day, snakes are great. And, and, uh, they, they're, they, we need them. So, uh, yeah. So I always love when I see a good snake, but, but other than that, we don't have anything that's really, we don't have mountain lions. We don't have things that that could get you. Right, maybe a fly <laughs> on the end of a rod yeah, coming yeah, back. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right on. Well, yeah, that happened just the other day. I was making some casts and trying to, you know, show my girls friends some things, and and uh, I was actually in the grass. And what I was thrilling, I think it was a popper still had a hook on it, so it's hooked in the grass. And I bring it back. Of course, and it comes a whizzing past my face and. 
I said, okay, that's a lesson. Like mm. this could happen. Like just be careful of your bugs coming back. In I will never, ever cast without uh, sunglasses on. It's just, Oh yeah. You're no, asking I'm, for, I'm, I'm, I'm always wearing glasses. I, I, I have to have my polarized on all the yeah, time. For, for more than one reason. Right. Hey, right, right. Hey, listen, Nick, I want to thank you for taking the time before I let you go. I just want you to throw out your, uh, your social handles where people can check out your blogs, check out some of your pics on Instagram on your fishing account and, and others. Yeah, absolutely. I think my, uh, Instagram handle is Nick lighter fly fishing. And, uh, the blog pieces can be found at uh, pawilds.org under their blog section. And, uh, and, and they're, you know, local Pennsylvanians, um, for anybody that will hear this that's from the Keystone State, um, they can learn about the PA Wilds there on their site. It's an amazing organization that encompasses uh, the 13 and a half counties in north-central Pennsylvania beautiful area Dif- i mean it's it's different up in that part of the state than it is where i am mm-hmm. it's gorgeous um and yeah they're they're really using that wilderness area to serve as their backdrop that really drives their economic and entrepreneurial development so it's a, it's a really good thing and people can find out about it there but but yeah also they can see the different blog posts from different people there good stuff well keep up the good work good luck with the book look forward to reading it and uh good luck on the water today nick lighter thanks so much for coming on the program thank you mark it was great talking with you the fly fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by theflycrate.com thank you for listening to the fly fishing 97 podcast your feedback matters let us know if there's a person or topic you'd like discussed Email us at mark at flyfishing97.com. Until next time, tight lines and we'll see you on the water.